Every day when we log onto our computers or tap into apps on our phones, we're creating new data. We're feeding it into huge centralized systems that use it to, well, we don't always know how they use our data, right? But things don't have to be opaque. We don't have to wonder who's benefiting from all this data and who isn't. Welcome to the Element Podcast. I'm Janice Sankis, Vice President of Innovation for Social Impact at Hewlett Packard Enterprise and this season's host. Each episode this season focuses on a different path in the journey towards digital equity. And today we're exploring data democratization. The big question, how do we decentralize digital data to enable an open data economy that's available to all? Recently, I posed this question and others to today's guests, Nathan Schneider, author of Everything for Everyone, The Radical Tradition That is Shaping the Next Economy, and Assistant Professor of Media Studies at the University of Colorado Boulder, and Matt Armstrong Barnes, Chief Technologist at HPE. They shared the inherent risks in having a few companies control the majority of consumer digital data, how it could inhibit innovation and prevent some groups from benefiting from the value of that data. We also looked at how companies can adopt sound and equitable data strategies, and we dug into the practice of swarm learning. That's where companies share AI data-driven insights without compromising privacy. In medicine, those could be life-saving insights. What a brilliant concept. It makes me hopeful for the future of digital data. Here's our conversation. Matt, Nathan, thanks so much for being here. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Well, we all know that data is exploding. And by next year, we're looking at an estimated 50 billion connected devices and as many as 10 devices collecting data per person. How does this data explosion compare to where we were, say, 10 years ago? Matt, could you give us some context? If you look at the statistics, 80, 80% of all data that we have today has been generated in less than the last two years. But if we start to look back at 2011, 2012, the volume of data that we are producing on a daily basis is gone up exponentially. I think we're about 35 to 40 times the amount of data that we were generating 10 years ago. It's just a tsunami and it's hitting all organizations on a daily basis. A lot of the traditional techniques that we were using to process this massive volume of data, they're running out of steam. We need to start thinking about new approaches of using advanced analytics, artificial intelligence, and critical ways that we can sift through all of this enormous volume of data and find the data is of the highest value so that it can be used as a vehicle to help organizations make fact-based decisions based on real empirical data that they're gathering. Nathan, this data explosion, what does it mean for business and for society? We're in the middle of the creation of a new kind of infrastructure. And that means it's not just about business. We're talking about something public. And these decisions uh, about the future of data are decisions that we should make with business involved, but also with a sense of the public good, the common good at the forefront of our minds. This economy is producing new forms of centralization, new forms of consolidation, producing some of the largest companies, some of the most powerful and in many ways unaccountable companies the world has ever seen. So along with this, I think we need, on the one hand, a new social contract, you know, a new sense of what the expectations are around data collection, data use, data processing, the algorithms that are involved in turning that data into information that people are using to make decisions. 
patterns. We also need to recognize some older patterns and recognize that in this new data economy, we've kind of turned off old rules that we used to have around privacy, and we might want to turn those back on again. For example, with the phone companies, you know, they couldn't just listen in on your phone calls and send you relevant robocalls. You know, there were laws that applied to earlier regimes of communication that are not being applied today. And you mentioned how the explosion of data is resulting in a greater centralization of the collection and analysis of that data. That doesn't seem to make it an equitable approach for everyone to participate. What are some of the elements uh, of a sound and equitable data strategy? I think there are a few different approaches. You know, one is to explore developing higher road kind of public alternatives to these corporate platforms, you know, have public agencies, nonprofits uh, that are mission oriented rather than just profit oriented. Another thing that I've been spending a lot of the last few years working on is developing more democratic structures within the companies that we're increasingly relying on. So drawing on that legacy of the cooperative business tradition, cooperatives are businesses that are owned and governed by the people they serve. And increasingly, as these accountability questions are coming to the fore, we're seeing greater and greater interest in adapting shared ownership to the data economy. So that tradition, that question of democratic ownership and accountability, I think is becoming all the more urgent. We need to think about how to build democratic practice into the organizations themselves. Matt, what's your view on open access to this data? Like, how important is that? We are seeing lots of bad behaviors when it comes to having a data-oriented culture, which means that we're seeing people holding on to data, hoarding data, not not sharing it, not making it available for advancements that we can have in society. We're also seeing that lack of privacy, the lack of security, and these being thought of, they're, they're bolt-ons after we've thought about what we can do with the data. And when we start thinking about privacy, it's it's not just securing data, It's about who can access it, what they can use it for, and how it can really have a beneficial impact from a societal perspective. If I give you an example, medical researchers are crying out for the right kind of medical data so that they can enhance the medical research that's happening in certain areas. But as Nathan was talking about, if that gets locked away in a limited number of large organizations, then it becomes difficult for us all to benefit from the type of data that we can make publicly available. So it's about having that control, that privacy, but still allowing advancements to be made in the right kind of areas. In this uh, open access model, who stands to benefit or lose? If we do it in the right kind of way, we can all benefit. If we do it in the incorrect way, we can all suffer. So my personal medical record, I happen to have a genetic defect. I'd want researchers to help other people who have the same genetic defect. However, if my clinical information is used by a malicious organization or an organization that wants to charge me based on my clinical information, it can have a detrimental effect. So my humanitarian aims, which is to drive forward medical research in a certain area, could be hampered by organizations misusing the data that I freely make available. Nathan, you mentioned that there's a role here for cooperatives with shared economic and social interests. Tell me more about that. There's a lot of different models on the table right now. People are talking about 
data trusts, data cooperatives, data unions. A trust might be managed by an independent trustee. A union might be more about trying to get certain demands or even payments out of the system. A cooperative is a business that sits at the middle of a bunch of, of owners. All of the above could be useful in different contexts. And to build on that point about medical data, I think about two different cooperatives in the medical field that, that I've worked with. One is Midata in Switzerland. It's run by researchers. It's designed not to pay people who are providing their medical data on the platform. The fear is that if there's there are payments there, they could have perverse incentives to share more personal data than they should. It's really about protecting them and helping them protect themselves. Uh, on the other hand, here in the US, a savvy cooperative is kind of a gig platform for medical data. You have people with specific conditions who are sharing insights about their condition with medical researchers, with companies and so forth. And they're doing it to get paid and to get paid fairly. So both of them are using medical data, personal data for research, but they're doing it in a slightly different context. There is no one size fits all model. And that's why we need accountability in these companies. We cannot simply give them a template and say, this is the right way to use data. We need to create the right flows of accountability. Nathan, you mentioned policies, and we know that governments uh, around the world are tackling this problem and, and setting policies. What do you make of the approach that China's using? We're really seeing a kind of splinter net happening where we have different kinds of policy regimes in different parts of the world. I think China's approach is really interesting in certain respects. You know, people in the West tend to think about the the Great Firewall as, you know, a an act of censorship, which it is, but it's also an act of data sovereignty. It's saying that, look, we're going to keep out the companies that are doing the most data extraction from Silicon Valley, and we're going to develop a homegrown data economy that we're going to be able to control according to our values. Now, we may not agree with some of those values, but it does present a reminder that we have a choice in how we decide to govern and manage uh, this new data economy. Many other societies around the world have said, whatever Silicon Valley says is the rules we're going to do, we do have a choice. We don't have to just accept this kind of tech determinism. A lot of European governments, for instance, for their own infrastructure, are starting to invest in deploying open source software tools, allowing them to control their data much more carefully using high-level encryption. That model, um, I think, is something we need to discuss more as, as a kind of alternative between the U.S. very corporate-driven approach, the Chinese um, very kind of state-driven approach. I just wanted to provide a European perspective. So we've talked about data privacy and the control of, of data from that perspective, but the legislation is still quite immature when it comes to how to handle the AI revolution that's coming and how AI is going to play a critical role in protecting people's data. And the artificial intelligence is getting to the point where it could re-engineer from an anonymized record back to the originator of the record. So we need to start putting in some guardrails that allow people's anonymity to remain intact. Absolutely. Right now, we have a situation where individual users have far, far less power than the vast companies that are collecting and processing their data. I think there's need to balance that situation with entities that might be thought of as data stewards that have those users' concerns at heart. 
um, that are able to negotiate terms of data contracts and arrangements and terms of service to help make sure that people have the collective power they need to really stand up to some of these powerful corporations. I think you make a very, very valid point. Some of my concern is how do you make that autonomous enough? And probably one of the one of the key things I, I see is if something is free, you are the product. So the other question is how that would be how that would be funded because it would need infrastructure capability, people building out the technology. We need to work out the detail around how it remains independent and how it continues to adapt based on the shifting landscape and the data that we're generating. You've both spoken about access and openness. How do we improve both of those concepts? Outside of the sort of macro level, country level conversations, we are seeing similar dynamics play out in organizations, specifically how we share data, how we put the right kind of organizational governance and control around data, how we make sure that privacy is considered right at the beginning, how we understand whether or not artificial intelligence technologies that are being built inside corporations are being used in the right kind of way to answer the question, just because you can, should you? Once we start to make organizations become more aware about the fact that they need to build a data strategy and that data strategy needs to take into consideration the changing and evolving regulatory landscape to make sure that you're using the data in the right kind of way, Because I do see a lot of organizations that aren't including into their data strategy and the underlying business cases that support it, the need to evolve the strategy, because as Nathan rightly points out, this is an evolving area. It's changing quite quickly and organizations need to stay on top of that. That question of just because we can do something, should we, is so important. Currently, data is being collected with a kind of fake permission. People are checking, yes, I agree. Yes, I read the 500-page document that was linked to here that I didn't even look at. Uh, Many of us are feeding data into systems that we would prefer not to be feeding data into, but we don't really have a choice. It shouldn't rely on people being extra, extra informed about all the dynamics at play here that we're discussing. We should have a set of institutions that really have our back. And yet there are some approaches, some technical approaches that can be implemented around data sharing. Things like swarm learning, are those effective means for data sharing while still protecting access and openness? Swarm learning is critically designed to bring artificial intelligence into this space where you're sharing learning about the data without actually having to share the data. It is the idea that you have greater intelligence in a swarm of birds or a swarm of bees. To give you a a concrete example, if we have a number of hospitals and each hospital specializes in a different type of ailment, one that specializes in lung cancer and another one that specializes in pneumonia, The one that specializes in lung cancer is going to see more patients with lung cancer and it is going to become better at diagnosing lung cancer. What you really want to do is take that expertise and share it with all of the hospitals. It doesn't need to share all of the x-ray images that it's produced. It just needs to share the learning. One entity within the swarm gets smarter, so the whole swarm gets smarter. We've been trained to think that only big companies can and should be 
doing this kind of advanced data processing rather than thinking about how to design systems like the ones you're describing where we can be much more intentional about where um, about local control and of course scaling up the things that really need to be scaled up we don't um, want to just accept that because data has to happen at large scales, that we want all the intelligence and the governance to always be happening at that large scale. We can instead design systems that do have those economies of scale, but also um, build in ownership and governance at the most local scales. And, And part of that too means building out the kinds of tools and the kinds of practices and habits that enable people to get used to the idea of of co-governing their online lives. This strategy around allowing data to remain decentralized and granting the ability to access the rules for privacy, the terms for exchange and usage of data to the owners of the data seems like it's a very open approach uh, for creating data equity or the equitable future that you've spoken about, Nathan. Would you agree? I hope so. I mean, th- these questions are so are so thorny, and there is not a single answer. Um, but to me, the way forward is uh, to respond to these challenges, not simply through the expectation that we're going to figure out a, a solution and deploy it across the entire system, but instead to take it as an opportunity for self-governance at multiple layers of our society and to make sure that the accountability is right so that as conditions change, as we start to recognize emergent patterns, things we weren't expecting to happen as always happens in these contexts of complex data sets, the decision makers have the right incentives before them, that they are accountable in the right ways, um, rather than having these perverse incentives to harm the very people who are relying on them. Matt, what do you see as the main obstacles and, and, and the key to overcoming these obstacles? We need some better education or better policy-based guidance so that people have a very clear understanding of what they are sharing and have an, a greater granularity around the decisions that they can make. Because showing somebody a very long legal document and saying, before you can consume any of our services, you need to accept this, is not the right way of empowering informed decision making. We've spent some time talking about what it takes to enable a more open and equitable data economy. And we, I think we would all agree that that's a goal because that will result in greater data sharing and greater participation. And that leads to greater insights and discovery of new information, which we would all benefit from. So for the executives that are listening to us right now, what can they do this week or this month? What's some immediate action that they should think about taking? The first thing is make sure that you've got a data strategy and make sure that that data strategy is something that's living. So it's going to take into consideration the evolving landscape, specifically when it comes to to regulation. Also, look at one that breaks down data silos to allow you to aggregate data intelligently, and also put some decision frameworks in there to help people who are working on data science projects to understand whether or not they should be using data in a certain way. If you are going to wait for complete policy to be defined in this area, you're not going to get started. So as a base point, take the organizational values that you have and apply those into your data strategy and make sure that the values that you're applying are public so that people can see how you value their data. There's lots of research that says individuals who trust companies 
have a tendency to be more loyal, they'll buy more from them, and they'll have a better customer experience. And those that trust is based on an individual's understanding how that data is going to be used, and if individuals have empowerment when it comes to data. You bring up a great point about the need for transparency. Nathan, any advice on your side around actions that executives who are listening to us could take now? What I'm going to describe might sound scary, but stop to consider where do you have potentially perverse incentives? Where do you have temptations in the structure of your business that might make you in the short term, undermine the rights and interests of people who are relying on you. One way to do that maybe is to spin out uh, a data repository as a cooperative co-owned by your customers that you do business with or as a trust. So your hands are tied a little bit. It's outside your control. You don't have the choice to exploit that data. And while shareholders may see that as a constraint that they don't like in the short term, in the long term, those kinds of decisions are going to be good ones. I think of an ambivalent example, Facebook's oversight board. This is a company that is starting to tie its hands a little bit by externalizing some power over decisions that they're realizing they don't have a great incentive structure for making themselves. And as we look to the future, let's say 10 years from now, where do you hope we'll be with extracting value out of data? I hope that we are in a situation where people feel a sense of power over their data. People might not understand everything that's going on. Nobody can. But they do at least have a sense that the people who are making decisions on their behalf, the people who are helping to guide their decisions are really serving their interests rather than having this eerie feeling that all of this stuff is being siphoned into companies that I don't know if I should trust. I don't know what they're going to do with it, where we have a sense of a kind of democratic social contract around data. We can't assume everything will be perfect, but we know the general norm is that this stuff is being governed with our best interests at heart. We're a long way from that, but it shouldn't be too much to Just to add to that, people understand the value that their data has. So be it for clinical research, be it for influencing political decisions based on voter behaviour, all of that has value at an individual level. Once that starts to become much better understood that if I wish to consume services that are free, then I have to pay for that with my data. If I don't wish to consume services that are free, then I can withhold my data and I can get those services using other means of payment. And I think that's the bit that we're we're missing is this relationship between individuals and the providers of services and how much those services are costing in either real terms or an exchange of information. Very exciting times ahead of us uh, when it comes to data. So Matt, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives on the explosion of data. Thank you. This has been fun. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. That's today's show. Thanks for listening. Leave a review or reach out to HPE on Twitter and be sure to subscribe to the Element podcast to hear the rest of this season as we go deep on digital equity. Next time, we'll be tackling the issue of trust and what it means to be a purpose-driven company in a data-led world. That's all on the Element Podcast from HPE.